Welcome again to the Business of Kush, the cannabis business podcast where your host, Chip Schweiger, the Greenleaf CPA, and his guests talk about all the business side of the cannabis industry, including accounting, finance, investing, and news of the day. If you're a cannabis business owner, investor, or industry insider looking for the dopest tips to make more money, improve profits, and increase the value of your cannabis business, you're in the right place. And now, here's your host, Chip Schweiger. Well, hey there, folks and friends and clients. Welcome to this week's episode of the Business of Kush podcast. Say, if you're a new listener, a hearty welcome to what is quickly becoming one of the best business podcasts for cannabis entrepreneurs. And if you're a regular listener and subscriber, thanks for joining us again this week. Really happy that you're here. So I'm your host, Chip Schweiger, the Greenleaf CPA, and I'm a 27-year veteran of public accounting and corporate finance. I'm also the founder and managing member of a CPA firm that helps marijuana, hemp, and CBD businesses stay on the right side of tax, accounting, and compliance rules. And because we're a firm that solely caters to the complex compliance needs of the cannabis community, we understand the unique challenges you're facing. So this week, I'm warning you right now, we're going to geek out a little bit and we're going to get down and dirty with the most frustrating, most impactful, and most misunderstood aspect of all of accounting and finance for cannabis companies. So what is it? Well, I'm going to get to it in a second here. But first, let me tell you about a call I had the other day with a prospective client who simply wanted to check a fact. Now, Whether you end up working with me or not, I'm always happy to help you check a fact. I offer it all the time, even when someone passes on my proposal. And why is this so important for me to do? Well, it's simple. I've seen so much marginally shady advice and counsel being given to the cannabis CEO that I'm simply trying to set the record straight. Even if it's one person at a time, we've all got to continue to grow this industry and this movement, and you can't do that with shitty business practices. From combining cannabis and non-canna operations into one legal entity to uh, trying to work something around with cashless payments on your ATN, there's a lot of bad information out there. So, back to this prospective client. He had been told about a way to, quote-unquote, beat 280E. Now, if you've been in this industry for any amount of time and have had a business that touches the plant in any way, you likely already know about 280E. But if you're listening to this episode because you're thinking about getting into this industry as an operator, or maybe you're thinking about investing in the cannabis space, let's start with a little bit of a background on 280E. So due to the fact that cannabis is classified as a Schedule I drug, and look, In spite of the fact that you've got the majority of the states in this country have all voted to legalize cannabis in some form or fashion. But regardless of the fact, federally, all cannabis companies are listed on Schedule 1 and all cannabis companies must comply with Internal Revenue Code Section 280E. Now, if you're in the business of harvesting or producing or manufacturing or selling cannabis really in any way or any shape or any form, your business is subject to 280E and not able to legally take most deductions. So here's what Internal Revenue Code Section 280E actually says. It's pretty simple. 
no deduction or credit shall be allowed for any amount paid or incurred during the taxable year in carrying on any trade or business if such trade or business or the activities which comprise such trade or business consist of trafficking in controlled substances within the meaning of Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 of the Controlled Substances Act. And this is which is prohibited by federal law or the law of any state in which such trade or business is conducted. Clearly, clearly, clearly says that if you traffic in Schedule 1 drugs or what the federal government considers drugs under Schedule 1 or Schedule 2 of the Controlled Substances Act, clearly you are subject to 280E. Now, naturally, cannabis investors and CEOs and accounting professionals are, are going to try their hand, rather, at getting around 280E. But if you've been paying attention at all, you know that this is a terrible idea for the very simple fact that the tax courts are winning cases against cannabis companies left and right all the time. I mean, we see it every day. Yes, the biggest one is the Harborside case. But did you know that the average recovery to the government from a cannabis 280E audit is over $4,700 per hour spent on that audit? Now, as a comparison for the average tax audit of a mainstream business, the recovery is closer to $600 per hour. So this is clearly a moneymaker for the IRS, and that's why it's such a huge focus area for them. Now, let's pause for a minute here. The IRS is not the enemy. I know it feels like it sometimes, but they are simply enforcing the laws that Congress makes. And as it relates to 280E, though, the IRS is very, very good at doing their job. And that's why people get grumpy over it. And look, who can blame them? I mean, I get it. 280E is crippling. Having to pay state and federal taxes on 100% of the income without any legal deductions cuts massively into your profits and in some cases can make it hard to be competitive with the gray market if the product is too expensive. So, how can cannabis companies legally reduce their tax liability? I mean, how can you beat 280E in actuality? Well, the answer lies in what we call Internal Revenue Code Section 471. And I promised you we were going to geek out a little bit on this episode. But what makes reducing tax liability even more complex is that the rules vary from vertical to vertical and can make things even more complicated for companies that have several verticals integrated within their business. Now, what Internal Revenue Code 471 gives is an overview and application to all cannabis companies. And it, clear, and it states that the method used for inventory must clearly reflect the income. Also, it must conform to how you account for inventory in your financial statements, which is usually going to be either from a gap standpoint, either a lower cost of market or something along those lines. So it's one of those areas where you can forget about book accounting and tax accounting. When you're trying to use 471 to mitigate the impacts of 280E, it's all the same, baby. So Internal Revenue Code Section 471-2 applies to all cannabis companies as well and states how you must value your inventory. It again says that the inventory must clearly reflect income and it must be consistent with GAAP. Now, Internal Revenue Code Section 471.3 can be applied to retailers and dispensaries, and Internal Revenue Code Section 471.11 is for cultivators, edible producers, and extractors and processors. It also similarly requires gap if you want to maximize what's included in cost of goods sold. 
but also 471.11 lists applicable ways to allocate costs via either a burden rate, a standard cost, or what we call a practical capacity. And we actually use the practical capacity approach for our clients. Now, in order to do cost accounting correctly and effectively, if you're a cultivator, for example, you're going to need to better understand how much it actually costs you to grow a pound of weed. You'll know how to allocate the different costs of the various phases in the growth cycles, among other things, once you know that. To be able to do effective cost accounting, you'll need some very important tools if you plan to take advantage of the maximum tax benefit. So for starters, a very good cannabis chart of accounts. That is either in QuickBooks Ready or Zero Ready uh, or some other accounting package. But that chart of accounts needs to be specific for grow, specific for processing, specific for edibles, and or specific for retail operations, whichever verticals you're in. You're also going to need an inventory template to accumulate monthly and quarterly counts and weights and estimated yields and the estimated percent that you've complete. And finally, cost accounting templates you're going to need to perform all these calculations. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. Cannabis is a great industry to be in and some of the most fun you can have. But you've got to mind the business side of your company the same way you're looking after the rest of it. You're in a risky business. There's no reason in my mind to mess with it or to try to mess with 288. So let's talk a little bit more about cost accounting and taxes for 288. Now, to effectively do cost accounting, you'll need to allocate some of your P&L costs out of expenses and back up into inventory or cost of goods sold. So you're going to use the trial balance as any ending reporting period, and you're going to determine which costs you're going to allocate and how much of each according to the allocation percentages that you determine either once a year or twice a year. Now, we in our business always allocate the total year-to-date amounts. Allocations for items related to labor, uh, such as direct labor or payroll taxes, for that we use hours. And allocations related to the facility, so if you're talking about rent or maybe utilities, we use square footage percentages. Now next you're going to determine the quantity of inventory and quantity of sales at that same reporting date to determine how much costs per the groupings that are kind of listed in 471.11, you got to determine how much cost to allocate back into inventory and therefore how much of those costs are going to make it into cost of goods sold. Because that's the only way that you're going to get any sort of credit or offset to your taxable income is by legally placing as many costs into cost of sales as you can. So after we do that first step, then we take the total allocated costs and we simply make a journal entry Uh, That considers the opening inventory balances. And finally, you've got to consider inventory evaluation, which for GAP is lower of cost or market. Okay, if you're trying to beat 280E by using 471, here's the list of things that you must do. You must have a great chart of accounts tailored for cannabis cultivation or for extraction or for manufacturing or one for each for each of the verticals if you're in all of them. You must have cost accounting templates either in Excel or in your accounting package that are tailored to do 471 and GAP cost accounting correctly and to do it easily each month. If you want to beat 280E, you have to have operational templates 
that captured data easily each month, such as the stage of completion for each strain, the estimated yields per strain, the direct and indirect labor allocations, and the facility overhead allocations. If you want to beat 280E, you probably should read 471.11 top to bottom many times so that you can completely understand it and apply it correctly. And you know what? Hell, read the whole damn Internal Revenue Code Section 471 while you're at it uh, because there's a lot of good information in there. All right. If you want to beat 280E, you also absolutely have to keep your record straight so that you're audit ready anytime, all the time. I talked before about the IRS is ramping up their efforts to catch cannabis companies who are trying to get around 280E. The other thing that you absolutely have to do if you want to try to beat 280E is you have to adhere to GAAP. You have to adhere to generally accepted accounting principles, and you have to make sure that you're doing your monthly counting and proper record keeping. So doing accounting once a year or even once a quarter doesn't really work all that well when trying to do proper cost accounting, nor is it really GAAP compliant. So if you can't do it on a monthly basis, find somebody that can. What you're paying them to do it, I promise you, is easily going to be worth it. And while you're at it, maybe have someone on your staff who will stay current on all cannabis accounting and tax court cases. All right, so if you want to actually try to quote-unquote beat 280E, here's the things that you should never do. Uh, Because it's going to be a massive failure for you. So if you're trying to beat 280E, don't try to write off all your expenses like you normally would for a traditional mainstream business, even if they are considered cost of goods sold. Now, a cannabis-trained accountant knows how to do proper cost accounting allocation for all your various verticals. The other thing to never do if you're trying to beat 280E is... Don't use Internal Revenue Code Section 263A. You may have heard about it, but you know what? It's not allowed. And that was actually at the crux of the Harborside case is using inventory unicap rules for uh, 280E application, and it just didn't work out. Court slapped it down. Harborside paid huge fines and huge penalties for it. All right, the, other, uh, the next thing to never do if you're trying to beat 280E is don't get tricky and put too many expenses into low-revenue non-cannabis divisions with the hopes that you can try to use those as deductions. Uh, It just doesn't work. You know, and while we're at it, don't play games with complex legal entity structures, period. I mean, non-cannabis divisions must be substantial, and they must be able to stand on their own as a business if you want to try to have them apply the tax principles that mainstream businesses have. The cannabis uh, divisions or the cannabis entities already have to apply 280E. Some people create non-cannabis divisions to get around 280E, and that's okay. But those businesses have to be substantial, and they have to be able to stand on their own as a business. So don't just make up a cannabis division out of a few pieces of t-shirts and then think that you'll get away with it, because I'm telling you, you won't. Okay, if you want to beat 280E, you should never put so much in cost of goods sold that it's not believable. This is how you get your company flagged for an audit. And once they get a hold of you in an audit, if you haven't done it right, boy, help you. Because it's going to be expensive in fines and penalties. Again, not trying to scare you, just trying to let you know what the landscape looks like. If you want to beat 280E, don't wait until the end of the year to try to do your cost accounting in order to try to reduce a tax li- liability. 
ongoing accounting is a must. You have to do it under GAAP, and if you want to apply 471, you have to do it that way as well. And if you want to try to beat 280E, I guess the last thing I'd say is don't treat each vertical the same. They all have follow different parts of the rules in 471 as they pertain to cost accounting. So some verticals can do different things with cost of goods sold without triggering an audit, while others, when they do that very same thing with their cost of goods sold on their tax returns, is going to trigger an audit. So like I said, this prospective client I spoke with, I told them there really is no way to beat 280E, at least no way that I know of. And as active as the IRS is in this particular area, any tricks you may hear about will quickly get shut down, and I mean shut down with a vengeance. The language of 280E is simple. It's straightforward, and there's no real room in between the lines to play any games. The penalties and fines can easily put you out of business. And that's even if your CPA or your lawyer told you, quote-unquote, it's okay to do it this way. Now, nearly every case I'm aware of where the IRS has won and won big time, nearly every one of them had CPAs and had lawyers. They just weren't knowledgeable about the cannabis industry, or maybe they just thought that they were smarter. Either way, they were wrong. Now, if you're interested in really getting under the hood of understanding 280E, drop me a note at chip at thegreenleafcpa.com, and I'll set up an appointment for us to talk. I've got a pile of cases here where someone tried to beat it or simply didn't focus on it. And I don't want you to be that person. So I'm happy to spend time with you about it and in the process show you how legally mitigating the impacts of 280E can actually make your cannabis business really valuable. Okay, before we finish for this week, let's get to our last segment, the one that we call News of the Day. News of the Day. Okay, so let's see, and we've actually got three pieces of news today. Um, the first one is uh, mentions that Tilray and Budweiser maker AB InBev, that they actually ended their cannabis beverage partnership. So the world's leading brewer, uh, AB InBev, who makes Budweiser amongst other beverages, and Canada's leading cannabis producer by market share, a company we all know them called Tilray, have ended their partnership, uh, and this is what the New York-based cannabis company quietly announced in a regulatory filing early Monday. So the partners had pledged to launch a CBD-infused drink on the Canadian market as early as December of 2019, but beverage sales have been underwhelming in Canada so far and the effects of the pandemic, and quite frankly, the deal just didn't work out. Here's why I mention this. We've talked before about getting into partnerships to either get investment capital in your business or to do something else to grow your particular business. And I think partnerships are great. But the one piece of advice that I will give you is make sure that the operating agreement or the joint venture agreement is very, very, very crystal clear on what happens if the thing doesn't work out, right? All of us go into it with the idea of unicorns and lollipops. None of us really think about what happens if this doesn't work out. But the most important thing you can do to keep control of your particular company in a deal like this is make sure that you can get out of that deal on an equitable basis. So that's the reason I mentioned that one. Good, interesting news story. All right, let's see. Uh, Next article we have here is actually uh, Arkansas. So this comes to us from the state of Arkansas, 
who registered $265 million worth of medical cannabis sales in 2021. And I think this is a great story about how different particular states uh, can really get into the marijuana movement, right? So medical cannabis dispensaries in Arkansas sold a total of $265 million worth of medical marijuana in 2021. And this is according to the Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration. Now, the sales figures reflect sales of 40,347 pounds of medical cannabis by 37 different dispensaries. Now, in contrast to the prior year, Arkansas's 2020 sales total $175 million with 26,000 pounds sold. So uh, this is really a continuing story of the viability and strength of the cannabis business or industry, rather, in Arkansas. Uh, We've talked before about the Relief Center in Bentonville was actually the state's top-selling dispensary for 2021 with 4,000 pounds of medical marijuana sold. So good for them, great for the state of Arkansas, and actually really good for the rest of us in the cannabis industry. All right, and our last piece of news here uh, comes to us from another state that I think is actually pretty interesting. And so this is about Oklahoma. And it really is an article talking about how Oklahoma aims to beef up enforcement efforts of illicit medical marijuana businesses. And we've talked before about Oklahoma, love the state of Oklahoma, but you know what? When they implemented medical marijuana, it's a little bit, everyone says it's a little bit like the Wild West. So Oklahoma's enforcement against unlicensed medical marijuana companies is likely to increase significantly in 2022, according to this article. And that's now that state regulators have taken advantage of increased funding and have ramped up hiring of cannabis business inspectors. So for all of my friends, clients, and contacts in Oklahoma, uh, the staffing levels at the OMMA, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, have risen 175% since May, and the agency now has 171 workers, including 67 tasked with going after illegal operators. So keep everything locked up, and as we talk about around this place, Always do the right thing. And there you have it for news of the day. Hey, you may have seen that we've got a new website for this podcast. We're now at bizofcush.com. And just as before, we've got every episode there with the show notes and a place for you to ask questions that we will read and respond to in upcoming episodes. So head on over to bizofcush.com and please drop us a note. And even if you just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you either on a comment or you can leave us a voice message while you're there. And also just one last reminder, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. All of them are at bizofcush. So let's connect. And with that, we're done for this week. Thanks again for your continued support of this podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. We'll see you. You've been listening to The Business of Kush, the podcast for cannabis business owners, investors, and industry insiders. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast. It's easy to do by clicking on that subscribe button or follow button. And you can also follow us on social media at at BizofKush or visit us on the web at www.thegreenleafcpa.com forward slash listen. We'll catch you in the next episode. And thanks again for listening to The Business of Kush.